Good morning, everybody, and welcome to 2021. We made it. Thank you, Lord. This is the beginning of a brand new year. And man, I hope it is just as amazing and incredible as the year before. Ha 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 ha. Uh, <laughs> may God bless you richly, deeply, and abundantly in this new year. Welcome to No Easy Answer. This is the podcast where we talk about things that are not quite so easily discerned and determined from a biblical perspective. And we go through all sorts of fun and interesting things with the idea that we can hopefully get a better understanding of what God actually wants us to do on this beautiful planet that he has made for us and how we can seek out his kingdom above all things, period. (laughs) So, I've been talking about violence for the longest time and going through some very specific examples of violence in this last little section of it. It's not so little. And uh, this week we're talking about domestic violence. And when I talk about domestic violence, I'm specifically talking about violence between spouses. And while, yes, there are definitely cases that there is violence between wife to husband that's not the typical case. So forgive me if I'm kind of jumping over that because I know that does happen and I've seen some very nasty nail marks on guys' backs that are, wow, very painful. Um, Not experienced that myself. No, my wife would not do that. But I have seen that. But still, I'm not going to be talking about that today because I feel like the the bigger fish to fry is, is from the other side. Speaking about violence coming from the husband towards the wife. And this has been, and and I've kind of been pushing this off because I really wanted to get into this a little more and and really kind of understand this because this is a real delicate topic. Um, It's one that is not spoken about in the church a whole lot, which is sad. This needs to be talked about in the church a lot. There needs to be much more dialogue going on about this. And this can lead to a lot of shame, and that's a big problem, and we'll see... And this is a whole, whole big thing that needs to be brought up a lot more frequently because it really is very, very, very common. Uh, And I'm going to get to that in a second. One of the things I am going to ask is that if you are going to listen to this podcast, please listen to the whole thing. Because if you just listen to one little part of it or another little part of it, it's very easy to take what I'm saying out of context. And I think it's very important for to listen to the whole thing and I'm and Lord help me Lord help me to try to get the right things to say here because I know I really do have to watch my words in this one um, because we are talking about an issue that is very much life and death for many people uh, and this is very important to talk about like I mentioned before it's a very common issue see even just in the little bit of research I've done into this uh, of like 600 um cases of abused women that came forward that were actually investigated. This is the cases where women who were abused violently within their marriage by their husband that actually came forward. So the number is probably much larger than this, but of the number that came forward and that were willing to actually be surveyed, 42% of them attended a church service or religious service weekly. So what that tells us is that, just even from the general population, uh, domestic abuse is very common, very common, even within the church writ large. 
And that's why we really got to talk about this because this is a really big issue. And I want to look at this both from a biblical perspective and a little bit just also from the women's perspective and also from the men's perspective. I'm going to try to talk about everything here because there's there's a lot to talk about and it's not an easy topic to really jump into. So with that, I'm, I'm going to jump into the whole marriage thing. And again, again, I'm, I'm going to be talking about this and please don't draw any conclusions until you've listened to the last word of this deal because uh, it, it's, I'm going to talk about how, from the biblical perspective, how sometimes this has been used in certain ways and, and we've got to understand that and, and there's some things we've got to come to grips with in the Bible as well and so this is going to be a, a, a big one. This is not an easy thing to jump into and really I want to do this with my wife to be 100% honest with you. Uh, I, I just can't do it with her. I'm actually going to do the podcast with her in Spanish with her. Because um, she feels much more comfortable expressing herself in Spanish than in English. So if you do speak Spanish, please jump over to that podcast. Because I'm sure that's going to be a lot better than just me talking about this. So, um, But yeah, I think maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe a year or two in the future we'll, we'll jump back and maybe redo this one. Um, in English, and that'd be kind of a good thing to talk about, so, all right, here we go, domestic violence, abuse within the context of marriage, so, the first thing I want to jump into is is kind of like the biblical perspective on marriage, what is the purpose of marriage, and and not to get into whole marriage counseling thing here, Um, that'll be a whole different set of podcasts, but I really want to look at what does it mean for us as the church, and and what God has set up as marriage. And then we're going to look at a few different cases, especially talking about divorce, separation, reasons for that. So, going back to the beginning, Genesis. We have, God sets us up at the very beginning, Genesis 2, that uh, a man and a woman shall leave their parents. That means they're going to separate themselves from their parents. They're no longer going to be part of this unit that is the family. They're going to come undone from the family, separate themselves, and now they're going to be joined together, man and woman, as one flesh. And they're going to cleave together, as it says. And they're going to become one unit, as it would be, between them. And biblically speaking, the way that this covenant, this 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 agreement is sealed between them is through the sexual act. And so this way they become one physical flesh, but they also become one spiritual flesh. They become... Um, part of each other. And as now part of each other, they are now forming a new family unit. So we have two families that are giving up uh, each of them, a son and a daughter, and they come together and they're joined together in one flesh. And this is the idea. And, and it's true, I would say, that even before this in chapter one, how God says that he made man and woman in his image, he made them and I think the fact that he says man and woman in his image is an indication that the man and the woman together are a representation of who God is in his completeness. And this is a relevance to the Trinity, that it's, God is not just one, but he is three in one. And it is a community that is together living in community with each other. And such is the act of marriage that is now not just an individual or individuals separate, but now these two independent beings have come together and become one within this covenant of marriage. Now, you hear I'm throwing on this word covenant, and I've got to talk about that because covenant really is this idea that there is an agreement. There is an agreement made between two parties, and this agreement has to be sealed with some sort of physical act. And this physical act, in this case, is a sexual act. 
uh, we still kind of clean it up with our cultural differences and we say you get together you get to stand in front of a priest you go to a, a court or something do all this kind of stuff but really biblically speaking spiritually speaking that act is the sexual act that's what brings two people together and that's what really consummates the marriage and, and makes it go so um, this and, and as we move along in the scriptures we're going to see how God many times will refer to himself as the husband and he refers to his people Israel as the bride or he talks about hey listen I've done this and many times the bride Israel has been unfaithful to her husband she's going out and she's getting around with some other guys out there getting around with these other gods getting around with these other idols and she's not staying faithful to her husband and therefore God is now in this position where he's like ah what am I supposed to do with you and he talks about this he even read the the book of uh, oh gosh I uh, um duh. not Joel Haggai no I'm, it's gonna come to me in a second I'm sorry Anyways, Homer was this girl, and she was not faithful, and God told one of his prophets, hey, you need to go out and marry this girl. And he's like, ah, it's not a girl. That girl's going to not very faithful. And so he does, and so this is a testimony of how God is being chasing after his bride who's not being faithful to him. When we get to the New Testament, it's driving me nuts. I can't think of that guy's name. Um, <laughs> anyways, when we get to the New Testament, uh, we get to the point where we see Paul make this thing, and we even see in Revelation this whole idea of the church being the bride of Christ, and that Christ is coming for his bride. And now we have this testimony that is marriage to the spirituality that the church, writ large, is the bride of Christ, and that Christ will come and we will be joined together to be one with Christ. Now, that has not happened in its entirety yet. This is going to be at the very end of the age, or the age of ages, or however you want to call it. Um, and we're going to see how this is going to work together. And basically, we're going to come together with Christ and be one with him. And this is the whole idea of that. And then we see these other things where Paul mentions like, hey, Christ is the head of the body. And so we have this whole thing where we're like, okay, it's the same way that the man is the head of, of, the, of the marriage. He's, he's the head of this whole thing. So we get to all these little things that go into that. So, but really the idea between marriage is that, and again, this is what I'm saying, listen to everything, listen to everything I'm saying. Uh, the idea of the marriage is that this is a testimony to the world. This is really kind of a way that we're showing by a physical reality of two people joined together in marriage, what God desires and what he's planning to do with us as his church, as the people that he has saved from the world and he desires that all the world be saved. Uh, that comes together and can be part of this group of people that have come together and have set Jesus as their Lord over them, both individually and communally. And within this marriage, we are modeling what this actually looks like to the rest of the world as a testimony to what God is doing with us. That is the whole point of marriage. And obviously we get the whole, you know, reproduction thing, uh, children, everything like that. Um, but that, in its essence, is, is the whole purpose of marriage. It's showing the reality of God's love towards us, and this is supposed to be a model and an example of that. Now, with that very clear, uh, we need to talk about what happens when this goes awry. Because if we're talking about the context of domestic violence, domestic abuse, now somehow something is being modeled that is actually not true to the intended 
purpose. Uh, if I, as a husband, am getting angry at my wife and I'm beginning to verbally uh, abuse her and then physically abuse her or even just verbally abuse her, I am not reflecting the true character of who God is to my wife. Nor am I reflecting the true character of who God is to the wider world about how God treats his church. Now, again, I've talked about this in the past. Does God use violence to protect his people? Absolutely, he does. Um, He has in the past, and he's used violence in, in other things. Nonetheless, the fact that God has done that does not mean that we as the church are ever permitted to do that nor are we ever called to do that, definitely within the context of the New Testament and as followers of Christ. We leave all vengeance to God, and he's the one that's going to take care of that. It is not our role as Christians to engage in any sort of violence whatsoever. And I've talked about that at length in previous podcasts, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that. So even so, any kind of argument where you could say, oh yes, my, my wife has been disobedient, therefore I must act like God, and I must now chastise her in such a way that she will learn and not go back to being abusive or not going back to the errors that she did. Now I must use violence because that's how God chastises the church. Therefore, I'm going to be just in chastising her. There is zero argument for that whatsoever. Because the biblical argument is, is, is that for women to submit to their husbands, and we've talked about submission before, just like we are to submit to the authorities, that does not mean that the authorities are perfect, and we'll get to that point in a second, but husbands are called to love their wives, just as Christ loved the church. And we gotta look, how does Jesus love the church? How did Jesus love people when he was ministering? How does people, how does Jesus love people when he's in heaven? How does people, how does Jesus love people throughout the book of Acts? Uh, really, we can see that the love of God is pretty darn amazing and pretty self-sacrificial. And yes, Jesus does say some very harsh and and kind of, you can even take it as mean things, but it's because he was getting to the heart of what was going on there. Not because he was in a bad mood, not because he was tired, not because he had seen someone else do it that way, so that's what he was doing. He was cutting to the heart directly and exposing issues that were there with the idea that people would stop doing evil and start doing good. Now, now, that would be a really good example to follow within a marriage, potentially. However, however, we are all fallen beings. Um, and we are all not perfect beings, and none of us are Jesus. So let's, let's hold that very closely and dear to our hearts. And let us be very quick to examine ourselves and very quick to be open to say, Lord Jesus, I am not perfect. Show me where I am not perfect. (laughs) Because I'm not. And we need to hear that. So, laying that little bit of groundwork, here's where the issues show up. And, and, you know, if you were to go to Google and look up, okay, domestic abuse Bible, which is what I did, it's kind of interesting that what shows up, and, and I found this one site which really impacted me. Really good site. I'd recommend it called Safer. I think saferresource.net. Um, and the information there was good. Uh, as I was reading, I was like, "Yeah, it looks good." And uh, really, what impacted me was that while I was on my phone looking at it, there was this little button up in the right-hand corner, 
and it said safe escape. And you click on the button and it drops you off on Google and you can't even go back to the page. And what that told me is that this is a page that is made for women that are living in fear because they're being abused by their husbands for one way or another. They're looking for information and they don't want their husbands to know about it and they're scared that he's just going to drop in and take a look at it. And that, that really broke my heart and put it in context to me. It's like, oh my goodness, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us that we were at. Oh, that's the case. Because the sad, the sad reality is there are a multiplicity of cases of domestic abuse and it's common and it's common within the church and yet for whatever reason the church is kind of like eh, I don't want to touch this topic and, and I want to go into a little bit why it's not touched on from a biblical perspective first and then um, and then also I think just from a general topic as well and then we're going to get into the actual cases of abuse and all this kind of stuff and, and what we're supposed to do about that um, so one here's the thing if if it, if you're a if you're a pastor, if you're a leader, if you're anybody that, that loves God, and, and you find yourself in a situation where you hear about a case, or you're talking directly to someone who's a woman who's suffering suffering abuse, either verbal or or violent. And I'm going to include and understand me here. I'm I'm actually going to extend out my my definition of violence here. I'm going to include just verbal abuse in this because I believe that is really heart and hand with it, and and sometimes even spiritually speaking, I think words can be as powerful, if not more damaging than, uh, than physical blows sometimes. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong there, but, um, in this case, I'm going to extend it. So all to say, uh, you hear about this case, right? And, and I think within the general Christian world, we try to say, we've got to save this covenant. We've got to save this marriage because this is what God is showing to the world. And we hear this verse, God hates divorce. And he does. Let's be honest. God does hate divorce. Absolutely. He's not cool with it. He's not down with it. Divorce is not a good thing. Because now it's it, we're breaking this covenant. We're breaking this ideal that God has set up for us. And it's not happening as it should. And that is sad. It's a very, very, very sad thing. And a divorce is nothing to ever be celebrated, nor is there to be looked for, nor is it to, ever to be taken lightly. Um, and so we hear about this case and we're kind of like, oh my gosh, this woman's just dealing with these issues and she's not doing well. She's suffering at the hands of this man who's just abusing her. And now, uh, what do we do? What do we do? And then comes up the big D word, divorce. Do we, can we as Christians say, listen, this person is suffering. So yeah, you need to get out of this relationship because this is bad for you. You need to divorce and, and be divorced. Uh, cause this is not good. Do we suggest that? Can we biblically suggest it? Because we know God hates divorce. And so we start looking for these biblical reasons that are permitted for divorce. And what do we got? We got one, adultery. So uh, we can say, hey, if, if someone has been unfaithful in this marriage, then yes, then it's that. And even biblically speaking, we're going to get a little more into this. Really, it's it's if the woman's been unfaithful. Uh, that's really kind of the, the typical cases spelled out in the law in the Old Testament. It's really not that the man's unfaithful, it's that the woman's unfaithful. That's where we see the, the cause for divorce is the woman's getting out, not the man. Uh, and then we see issues where it's like, okay, maybe we can have divorce because, um, you know, the, the guy gets married to the girl and he doesn't like her. He doesn't like her, and so, you know, people are like, hey, this, this girl's not pleasing me. I don't want to have anything to do with her. I want her to get a divorce. And so Moses said, fine, you can get a divorce. You can do that. 
And we looked at all these different cases. We see also in Corinthians, First Corinthians, where it's see if if a woman is married to Christian was married to an unbeliever, and the unbeliever just leaves her, then yeah, she can get a divorce. That, that's fine. That that's part of the deal. And so we see these examples where the divorce is permitted specifically and explicitly within Scripture, and yet we're left with this kind of gaping blank hole where it's like, well, where's the where's the teaching on uh, on abuse? Where's the teaching on, on domestic violence? Where, where's the teaching where it says, yes, if, if your husband is, is beating the wife, then yes, you can go ahead and get a divorce. And the thing is, that's, that's not there. That is not something that is specifically and explicitly laid out in scripture. Um, and so if you go to these websites, talk about domestic abuse and Bible, uh, really, I, I can't, I, I didn't go too far into it. But I'm sure there's some sites that say, yes, you got to stick. Listen, girl, you got to stick with it until the bitter end. I haven't seen that site yet, but all the sites I have seen say the exact opposite. Like, no, the fact that there's violence means that the covenant has been broken, period. And even though there's not an explicit biblical uh, text that says, yes, that's the case. Here, here's the reason they say it is. Um, one, we see that God always has a heart for the oppressed, that his, his heart is always for the oppressed. It's never in pro-violence or the fact of human violence. God is not pro-human violence. And so he is now saying, listen, if, if this guy is being violent towards you, then this is breaking the covenant. Two, uh, the whole idea of, of the covenant is that this is how God treats his people. And the fact that this guy is beating you is not a good reflection on who God is. And so therefore he is not holding up his end of the deal and therefore he can't be there. Three, we can even see um, within scripture that in Exodus 21, we can see what the conditions are for a man to take on a woman's slave and that if he's going to take on a woman's slave, it's kind of like he's got a concubine or kind of like a wife or whatever. If he likes her, doesn't like her. Uh, he still has to provide for her food. He has to provide for her shelter, money, and what was the other one? I think, and, and just her, her marital responsibilities. Like, he's got to make sure she's sexually pleased. And so, um, if that's the case for a slave... Then, and, and that's the thing, and, and if he doesn't do that, then the woman has an excuse to, to get out uh, of, of being a slave. If, if that's the case for a slave, then shouldn't it be even more so for marriage? So perhaps the whole fact that it's not explicitly laid out in scripture is because this is just something that's so basic that it's just absolutely understood. That one, uh this is something that was just understood completely. And so since it was so basic, we didn't have to lay it out in scripture. And it's just like, obviously this is an obvious case where that could be there. That may be the case. I, I don't know if I can say that to be hundred percent honest and be hundred percent true to uh, biblical exegesis. Um, but all the other stuff I think is, is absolutely true. I, I think you can, 100% make a biblical argument that yes, in the case of domestic abuse, there is validity for seeking separation, for seeking divorce. I believe that is definitely there. You, you can join the dots together to make it say that. It just sits with this weird because it's not there, right? And, and I understand it because obviously the culture, the context, I mean, we're talking about a very patriarchal society and I don't know. I don't know the culture. Maybe I'm completely off here. But I mean, I can imagine that 
you know, and it, it is kind of interesting that we see within Proverbs when we talked about, you know, child abuse and, and violence and correction and, and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of biblical mandates for, for, for using violence against children, but we never see biblical mandates for using violence within marriage, neither pro nor against, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? The, the fact that, you know, it's like, hey, if I was pro, you know, beating on your kids, but it does not mention anything pro beating on your wife. That is definitely not there. 100% not there. Uh, but nor is there. The thing is, that, oh yeah, the guy beats his wife, shouldn't be there. So either this is something that is completely understood within the context, and it's like, no, this is just, don't even need to mention it because it's so basic and understood. Or it was something that just wasn't really talked about. And, and I kind of feel like that's almost the, the latter case. Um, and I'm not saying that the scripture is incomplete. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, the scripture doesn't look into everything. You know, it's like, you're not going to find wisdom in the scripture about how much time to spend on Facebook. Not going to be there. Uh, or whether you should even be on Facebook or social media. You'll find lots of stuff about gossip. You'll find lots of stuff about, uh, being lazy. And I'm not saying Facebook is lazy, but you'll find just general recommendations about other things of life that might intersect Facebook, but you're not going to find Facebook called out. All that to say, um, there's a lot of stuff on marriage, but this one's not called out. And that sits there yeah, with us. And so when we got this person that's sitting in front of us that's been abused, that's not doing well, we're like, oh my gosh, can I? Can I say that this is it? Or am I, or am I breaking it? Because it's like, we, we, we got to save this marriage, right? And I think, and I think, I think within the church, we see so many divorces period, and maybe we don't understand why, um, that's probably a big thing, um, we probably don't ask why, and that's okay, because we, we're trying not to judge, we're trying to be polite, and that, that's, that's good, um, at the same time, the fact that we're not judging means in front of their face, we're probably judging behind their back, and that's something we've got to repent of, uh, and I'm going to talk about support at the end, so hold on, listen to everything, but I would say this, um, I feel like sometimes we kind of look at marriage almost like the Pharisees looked at the Sabbath. And it's like this thing where we're trying to, st- we got to protect the Sabbath. we got to protect the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a thing that holds us different from everyone else. And this is what we're going to do. And so when Jesus shows up, he's like, listen, guys, you, you've taken this too far. It's the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. And, and maybe that's when we need to look at marriage. It's like marriage is for man and woman, not man and woman for marriage. Maybe we've taken this a little too far within our own little culture. It's like, no, this is too important. And, and ironically, we're losing it. We're, <laughs> we're losing it as we try to hold on to it. Uh, and, and I don't know. Maybe I'm completely off in saying that. But I, th- I think it is a point of reflection. It's like, are we, is, is now the fact that we're trying to hold a woman in an abusive relationship, are we trying to say that is more important than her and her husband and her kids? At what point do we say that this covenant is more important than the actual people? Oof, that's that's kind of a, a big question we really got to think about and sit down and, and, and go over. I got to jump into work. I'll be right back to keep going on this. Um, and we're going to talk about where does this actually leave us uh, in terms of how do we go about this? And, and how do these relationships actually start? Can we get into the little bit of analysis where these things actually come from and, and where we can go in a biblical sense? Looking at abusive relationships, there is a lot, a lot of really deep and heavy stuff going in there. And, and I'll just say, I myself, um, 
I need to do this in a way that's honoring. I myself have, have witnessed verbal abuse within my own upbringing. Let's put it this way. Um, and uh, it's been something that I've seen constantly, and it comes and goes, and it's not always there, but it, it's there. And, and it's, it's one of those things that has affected me, and I can say this as a child, as a product of this, um, it's not like I'm 100% defined by this, but where do I see it? I see it in the relationships with my own children and sometimes with my own wife that there is this temptation to fall into the model that was imprinted upon me. It is in there. And I have to recognize it because it's, and I don't, don't let it do what it wants to do. Mm. 99% of the time, but there's this one little percent of the time where all of a sudden these little cracks from stress or whatever, these things come out and it's like, whoa, what was that? Where did that come from? And I have to repent of it. I have to recognize it, repent of it and say, that's no, that's, that's not good. That's definitely not good. And I, I don't want to be part of that. Um, so, and, and thankfully, thank you, Lord. Like that has never come out in a way that has been abusive. Thank you, Lord. But I can see it's in my heart. It's there. And, and that's that's a scary thing. Now, with that, <laughs> um, I think it's very important to understand that in any case of domestic or familial abuse, there are a minimum of two victims. At least two victims. And possibly a hundred. The woman, if she's a recipient of abuse, is obviously a victim, but also the man as well, because the fact that there is abuse means something is wrong with the guy. And the fact that he is reacting in such a way that is abusive is a result of something that has gone awry within himself. I don't think this is something that just wants to just naturally show up and be like, yeah, I want to be a guy that beats his wife. That's what I aspire to be one day. Hopefully I can go home and just really show her what's up. I don't think guys really aspire to that. Now, obviously abusive people, when they get in contact with more abusive people, they tend to keep going along the same direction. And uh, that's not good. And, And even the general advice is Proverbs is to stay away from violent people. And if you look at some of the websites that talk about abuse in the Bible, Um, that's one of the things they'll say, like, hey, listen, you need to get out of the context of violence because if you're seeing violence, that violence will imprint upon you and you need to stay away from it. That is not something that's good. Um, so let's look at at the guy first. And and typically there's, there's some sort of insecurity within the man that says, I am insecure. I am under threat. And therefore, I must react via something. And, and this, this reaction is not logical. If the threat exists at his work, if the threat is a financial threat, to react against his wife has no logic whatsoever. And if I can remember the words of a very wise man, he said something that always has, has stuck with me. And I think I've said it here, but I'm going to go out his head and say it again. It's that evil is stupid. Evil does not really take any sort of logical... Movements. It just really does dumb things. And, and this is a case where, it, where it's like, oh man, there's so much stress in my life and I'm stressed out by my boss. I'm stressed out by the fact I have no money. Let me go take it out on my wife. Well, it's probably nothing to do with it whatsoever. But I need somebody to blame. I don't want to blame myself because I lack 
some sort of a lack of modicum of self-esteem to think that I might be the problem or that I might not be the problem, that this might be something that's out of my control, but I got to do something about it because I'm the guy and by gosh, I need to do something. Therefore, I need to blame somebody and, and that'll maybe make me feel better. This, this is dumb. This is stupid and this is evil. It happens frequently. And, and again, that, that lack of self-confidence that comes from God and that can really only be set up within the psyche of the person that has to come in from uh, a touch of the Holy Spirit or a lot of, a lot of uh, psychological um, counseling and therapy. And even then, it's not always perfect because if the person doesn't want to change, trust me, it's not going to happen. Uh, you can throw all the therapy you, in the world you want at someone, but if they do not want to change, they, they are not going to change. So there has to be a desire to change, but in, until that really happens, uh, this, this person, this man, is not going to stop the abusive behavior until there's been a healing process within them. And that's the first thing to understand. This person that is reacting with a violent means against someone that is not really the cause nor the purpose behind the, the, the abuse, they're not going to stop doing it. They're going to continue on the same path. And I can say, like, there is, in this sense, even, even if, you know, and we'll get to the women in a second, but it, it, it really is the onus, the onus is upon the abuser to repent. The victim here is a victim. And yes, there is no such thing as a perfect victim. We'll get to that in a second. But the onus is upon the abuser to stop abusing. And the question is, how do we get the abuser's attention to make them come to a point of self-reflection upon which they can stop doing what they're doing, recognize they need help, and look for help, repent of the evil that they're doing, and start doing good? With the understanding that it is incredibly difficult to do this. Uh, You're dealing with something that is inside of you that's part of the fabric of who you have been brought up in and brought up to be, and now you're trying to fight against yourself to not do that which is natural to you. And this is, this is not easy. And again, this has to come from God to make this happen. Uh, I, I think in a sense, you know, there has to be a call to attention. There has, this has to be talked about. This is not something that can be buried. This is something that very, Scripture is very clear. You can't bury sin and think it's just going to go away. That does not work ever. The evil deeds need to be brought to light. And it's only by being brought to light that we can deal with them, we can repent of them, we can be forgiven of them, um, and we can be reconciled through it. But just bearing it does not make it go away, and it's not. And, and within the individual, and within the family, and within the church, there needs to be an openness to discuss this. And to understand, listen, the guy that's doing this is committing wrong. He's doing violence He's doing sin, and he's causing pain upon a child of God, and that is not a good thing. Nonetheless, he too is a victim. There is a reason that he's doing this, and something is wrong, and this person needs love, needs forgiveness, needs care, and needs uh, needs a lot. <laughs> really needs a lot, such that they can do that. And to really get to the point where that can even be done, we need guys who have been through this process to be open about it and to say, hey, here's the deal. And that, I'm trying to maul that a little bit and just my own thing. And it's not easy because you want to look good in front of people. You want to look like you got your stuff together. And, and that's 
not an easy thing to admit, I don't got it together. In fact, I've done some pretty bad stuff and you're probably going to hate me for the stuff that I've done. Yet, I'm asking for your help so that this does not continue. Um, and and so that that's what needs to happen. There needs to be an openness to talk about this. I think there also needs to be uh, a stands need to be taken and uh, lines. I'm trying to think of lines, not boundaries, but yeah, boundaries need to be drawn upon which certain con- conduct is not permitted. For example, if if there is a re- abusive relationship, there needs to be some sort of agreement. Um, Ideally, if, if the man actually wants to be part of it, an ideal says, hey, if you raise your hand, if you raise your voice, if you do whatever, there are consequences for it, and these are the consequences. In the case where the man does not want to do that, the woman, ideally, if she feels capable of doing that, and, and if not, if she's in fear, then she probably just needs to get out. But if, if she can, if there's some sort of basis of love and, and self-respect there, there needs to be something that says, hey, these are the consequences for this type of action. And at some point, it means I'm out. And, or at some point, it means we need to both go and talk to a counselor. Or we need, and, and it really, I'm, I'm talking very general here because it depends on the level. Obviously, if, if a woman is in, is in fear of her life, then no, she needs to get out immediately um, and do so in a way that she can preserve her life and the life of her children and do so. Um, but if there is some sort of basis of love, there's some basis of, of understanding, mutual understanding, but there are these episodes where this stuff happens and goes down, there needs to be a point where it says, listen, this is the line, you cross it, these are the consequences, and, and you're dealing with someone very similar to someone that is coming out of addiction, where you have to have very strong rules, you have to have very strong boundaries set up, and the consequences have to be fallen, followed, I'm sorry, have to be followed regardless of, of what happens, I mean, it's you do this, this is the consequence, period. No change. Um, that has to be in place because that's just the reality of, of how things are going to work. So, nonetheless, even then, I, I, if you know there's an issue, you got to get help. you got to get help. And, and my, my encouragement for all guys, because I think this is a temptation to all of us because we all have insecurities, all of us, is we need to be open about our insecurities, first with our spouses and also in our churches with those around us, with the guys that we can trust, that we can speak uh, life into, and they can speak life into us, and we can hear each other and say, hey, this is the problems I got. Can you pray for me? Can we talk about this? Can you help me understand what's going on? Maybe tell me about your experience. What have you been through? Here's what I've been through. And and that can help a lot. That can help a lot just getting to that point. So um, it's very easy to get isolated, and, and isolated is not good. All right, so guys, get help. We need to be in groups. We need to be understanding each other. We need to be open. There needs to be an openness within the church about this and, and hope for us. As for women, again, this is, uh, this is extremely delicate, and I'm trying to really watch my words, and I want you to understand, if, if you're a woman and you're in a situation of abuse where you fear for your life, you need to get out. You need to get out. You need to save your children, and that's not anything to feel shame about, and this is the first thing I want to talk about. We as the church need to, to drop the shame around this topic because when we come to this idea that God hates divorce, anytime we see divorce for any reason, it's like, ooh, shame. Ah, nope, missed it. And yes, it is sad. It's sad when a divorce happens. But we need to be very slow to judge. Very slow to judge. We should not judge, actually. And uh, we need to really take the plank out of our own eye. Be like, is my marriage perfect? No, it's 
if I got married to this person, would I stick with them? That's a good question. (laughs) Because many times when we get in these relationships, we have to be very clear that the likelihood of this person changing is extremely low. And when I say extremely low, I mean ridiculously low. Now, God can do miracles, that's right. But at the same time, God respects us. He wants to work with us, but if we don't want to work with him, he will respect that. And we can pray, we can fast, we can do uh, we can do vigils, we can do all sorts of crazy stuff. But at the same time, unless a person actually wants to do something, if they actually want to change, if they actually want to recognize what's going on, there's not much that can be done beyond that. There has to be some sort of opening on their part to forgive, to recognize that there is an issue, because if, if they can't even recognize that there is an issue, I, I don't really know what can be done. And so a woman in a situation where she's looking at a, a husband that's, you know, mildly abusive to full-time abusive, really the options are, I'm going to relegate myself to suffer for the rest of my life, understanding that this is how it's going to be every single day, day in, day out, every single minute, every single second, this is how it's going to be. And I'm going to accept that and continue with the marriage or I'm going to get out. Uh, And maybe, maybe in the process of doing that, that'll be enough to wake up my husband and that'll come to a point where he's going to change. But that can't be the case. It's very easy for a guy to, within the insecurities, realize, oh man, I screwed up. I, I went too far. I'm sorry. And then two minutes later, back to abuse. Very common, very typical. And so the the sham apology does not cut it. There has to be serious, serious, serious efforts on behalf of, of the man to actually rectify things. And so really... Uh, the woman is, is in a very difficult situation because if she is to pursue the course of separation, of getting out, one, she's going to face shame from her husband. Her husband's obviously not going to like this and say it's all her fault when it really is not. Uh, she's going to face the reaction of her children because her children are there and she's looking at, they're looking at their father and being like, oh gosh, you know, this is how it is, but he's still my dad. I still love my dad. And why did you, mommy, take me away from my dad? Shame from there. She's looking at shame from the church in general. Oh, you got divorced. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) And there's shame there. And so the woman really has to get out is a path of shame after shame after shame after shame. And it's a shame to herself. And I can say this from experience that many times the woman thinks and believes that what your husband's saying, that it is her own fault, and that if only she was perfect, if only she did this, if she only she had not done that, then this would not be happening. And, and listen, nobody is perfect. Nobody is perfect. And remember, the role of the husband is, to, is for the husband to love the wife as Christ loved the church. And guess what? Christ loved the church, and he forgives the church, even when we mess up time after time after time after time after time. And if you think you have to be perfect for your husband, that's not how Christ loves the church. You do not have to be perfect for God. That doesn't mean you don't do anything for God. But to think that, oh yeah, if I'm not perfect for God, then he's going to punish me, that is wrong. That is absolutely wrong. 
to think that I've got to walk on eggshells and just watch everything I do. And if I mess up on the most little thing, then it's going to explode. That is not how Christ loves the church by any means, by any stretch whatsoever. Not even close. That intention of marriage, of showing the world of how Christ loved the church, that is broken. That is broken in that type of relationship. And that is not reflecting on the true character of who Jesus is. So, if you find yourself in a relationship where you feel like you got to be perfect just to get by, <clears throat> that's, that's out of whack. That is out of the intention of God for the marriage covenant and the marriage relationship. <clears throat> and it is not your fault. If for whatever reason, because you are so stressed out by every single thing that can happen, and just one little slip happens and all of a sudden you're getting beat for it, it is not your fault. No. Not all. And you need to recognize where the truth of the blame lies. And the guy needs to understand he's got issues and he has to deal with his issues. Um, And I feel incredibly, incredibly sorry, again, for women in the situation, especially for women where it's in a situation of just verbal abuse. Because I feel like the church at large understands, no, if if the woman is getting beat, then yes, that's a basis for separation. We can understand that. It's not explicitly laid out in the Bible, but yeah, we can support that. We can say, yeah, we're behind it. But if it's just verbal abuse, then uh, maybe you just need to stick around. Maybe it'll change. Maybe we'll do that. Then it's maybe not quite as justified. Maybe it's just you just uh, had a bad day and that's that, right? And and so a woman who, who seeks separation just in the case of verbal abuse, man, ooh, I am, I am sorry. Seriously, I am so, so very sorry because the path ahead is such a difficult path to walk because like I said, it is a path of shame, it's a path of being questioned, it's a path of And it's either, like I said, your two options are, well, you have three options. One is is a fake option. The fake option is that if I'm perfect, he'll change. That is not a true option. Uh, And so living a life, trying to be perfect so that he'll change is not a true option. So really the two options are, I'm going to deal with this every single day for the rest of my life, or I'm going to walk the path of shame of separation. And my gosh, my heart goes out to you. My heart goes out to you 100%. And I, I understand. <laughs> I mean, not from the perspective of, of the woman, but from another perspective. And my heart goes out to you 100%, 110%. And, I, and this is a call, I think, to the church to, one, we need to embrace people and bless them in the midst of this and and have some sort of support for women going through this because it is not easy by any stretch of the imagination whatsoever. Any stretch of the imagination whatsoever. Um, and whatever path is chosen for whatever reason, um, and so be it. I mean, that, we need to be able to offer support and help for women in that situation because it is not easy at all. And it is, it is our duty to show love, to show respect and to show life to women in the situation. Children, this is the thing where I think it's, it's you know, as, as a mother, if anything weighs heavily upon them, it is children. And again, the weight of shame is heavy upon children because now the mother thinks, ooh, if I separate, if I leave my husband, now my children have to bear this weight of shame that their children have a divorce. What kind of model am I leaving them that now they're not going to want to stay with their with their partner or whoever it is. At the same time, if you stay, what kind of model are you leaving them? That model is going to be imprinted upon there and it's just going to be imprinted deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper day after day after day after day. Oh, 
man, and, and again, this is, this is a difficult path to walk. I think children always ideally want to be with their parents. They want their parents to stay together. They want their parents to be happy together. And even in the best relationship, any kind of small, you know, discussion, small uh, tizzy or fight or, you know, small difference of opinion can seem like a threat to children. They receive it as a threat to the family. And so when things are really bad, it's received as a big threat. And that is imprinted very largely upon the children. So, again, I feel like at large, the church has been trying to frown upon divorce because we see that divorce is so frequent upon the society that we're like, no, we can't do divorce. That's not an option. We've got to save our marriages. We've got to do that. But are we actually providing support for it? What are we actually doing? And it may be that some churches are doing this great. Continue at it and get better at it. Uh, but I think in general, at our, at our churches, we need to be providing support for marriages constantly, deeply, truly, powerfully, so that we can love each other and we can deal with the fact that we're not perfect or we're much less perfect together and help uh, model that for our children as well. Um, and, and I think so much of that has come to the point nowadays where so many young people, <clears throat> my age and younger, just don't get married. They just get together and they're, they're, they're partners, their boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. And they, they stick together and they kind of have this relationship where they'll be together for years and maybe even their whole life. And yet the, the covenant of marriage is thrown to the wind because it's like, man, once you bring marriage into it, things fall apart. And even in Venezuela, and I think I've seen it here too as well, there's just this concept that we can get along great as boyfriend, girlfriend, that's fine. We can have children together. We can live together. We can do life together. We can share everything together. But the minute you put the word marriage on it, it all falls apart. People get divorced within five, five months or less. And sometimes that does happen. And I don't know what it is about, uh, and I'm speaking to, to folks that are not following Jesus here, but I don't know what it is about this weight of marriage that brings all these expectations up that all of a sudden they don't want to live under the weight of the expectation. And that can cause issues. And so they prefer just to live under the weight of freedom, uh, supposed freedom, but that does not exist there. And I, I don't I don't think that's quite there. I, I think there's, if we were to truly model marriage in a, in a truly godly way, I think that would be, and it is, the most attractive option out there for doing life together. Um, but we got to recognize we're messed up and we got to work on that. And really, the big key, the big key to all of this is helping young people choose wisely, which is hilarious because when you're young, you're just full of hormones. You can't think straight. You don't, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. You have no idea. And sadly, all that imprinting that's gone on in your childhood, that's there. And it's very likely you're going to just naturally go for someone that's really not good for you. You're going to find yourself attracted to someone that is not good for you at all. Uh, and, and sadly, in the broken world we live in, this is the, the tendency we get into, that we have this self-destructive tendency to look for things that we know are bad for us. But man, does our heart just start racing at 100 beats per minute when we see it. It's like, oh yeah, this is it. This is it. And we just don't even know what's going on. And we're just on this conveyor belt of hormones that's drawing us to this person that's going to be really bad for us. And we're trying to tell these kids, don't do it. And then they're like, I want to be rebellious. Of course I'm going to do it. And it's just, oh, yeah. Ironies of life. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, a little side tangent there. Um, 
how we do that, that's a whole different podcast. And I don't know if there's a good way to do that. <laughs> if anybody can tell me so I can prepare my kids, please let me do that. But all that to say, again, and this kind of goes back, I'm getting off here. I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling a bit. Getting back to women. There's a big thing where many times women will not, uh, they will seek out guys that are abusive to them. Even if they leave an abusive relationship, many times they're going to get back with someone who's also abusive. And it's like, don't do that. And many times we see women that they have someone that comes after them, falls head and uh, head over heels in love with them, is a great guy, has got everything together and has, can offer them a wonderful and beautiful life. And they're like, no, I don't want that. Uh uh-uh. uh, but look at this guy, man! This guy is awesome. And then, two weeks into it, they're coming out with black eyes and everything, and it's just sad. It's sad that that the 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 imprints, the models that we have in our inner psyche, brings us to the self destructive pattern. So, all to say, youth, listen to wise counsel, please. Have your mind made up to listen to wise counsel before you make big decisions in life. Um, that doesn't mean you have to obey what they say, but you need to give them the right to say, I told you so later on. And, and that is, ugh, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, so, all that to say, biblically speaking, I, I, I gotta say, you know, that even though there's not a complete and explicit right for divorce within the Bible based on physical abuse, I would like to say, I would like to hope that uh, we as a church can be able to forgive willingly, readily, quickly in cases where it happens. And that we can be able to work with everyone from the guy to the woman to the girl and everyone that's part of it because that is so important. We've got to see the entire family as part of it. And it may mean that there's separation. It may mean that there's not. But we need to be quick to extend grace and we need to be quick to create environments where reconciliation can happen or we can try to maybe even help guide people so that these th- these relationships don't develop in the first place. Work with guys while they're single to help recognize, hey, you might have some of these issues with you. Let's go get some counseling. Let's get some prayer in you um, and see what God can do with it. So there's a lot more to say here, but all I want to say is we need to stop the shame train. That is not good. That is not good. And we need to be able to bless women and bless men in all of it and extend grace and peace to victims. But really, we got to deal with sin just like we deal with any sin. We can't bury it. We got to bring it out to the light and we got to deal with it. And it's not fun at all, at all. But if we're just trying to say marriage is the most important thing and we don't really put what God calls important, aka people, uh, we're going to lose it. We're, we're going we're gonna to lose it. So be blessed. Uh, we'll be back next week continuing to talk about different themes of violence. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you on the flip side.